Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Today is September 30th, 2015. And we're here again with Bob Schaefer tonight. Um, for those of you that uh, don't know already, these calls are all also archived at youhavetheright.com. They are indexed by subject, edited and indexed by subject, uh, to make it easier for you to learn stuff. So go check it out, youhavetheright.com. And uh, Bob, welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So what are we talking about this week? We're going to talk about the ultimate in privacy and security for your stuff. There's a lot of people are losing their stuff because of the corruption in in the government system and courts and all kinds of corruption everywhere. Yeah, it's getting pretty bad. Yeah. All right, so take it away. Okay. First, I want to say a few things about the name, uh, You've Got the Right. Uh, I'm going to enhance that a little bit. Life is full of only two different ways of conducting yourself, either as a matter of a right or as a matter of a privilege. Privileges are granted by someone else. You have a right endowed to you by your creator if you believe in the Declaration of Independence. Now, there are some privileges that are called rights, like civil rights are really privileges. And uh, any privilege can be ended uh, whenever the one that grants the privilege wants to. Uh, Rights cannot be ended. So it's a good name of of this website, you have the right, because we're talking about unalienable rights. That means they're unleanable. It cannot be taken away from you easily. For instance, I have a right to be in my house. If you're in my house, it's by a privilege, and I can end that privilege any time I want to. If you're in somebody else's house, they can end your privilege to be there, and you have to leave. So it's better to have rights. Now, I've had a lot of privileges in my day, like four state contractor's licenses. I have a class A chauffeur's license. Uh, I've had a real estate license, loan officer licenses. I was an apprentice in Bomber at one time, way, way, way back when I was very young. And uh, I have gotten rid of all my privileges. I don't want any governmentally created, taxable, and regulatable privileges. I don't even have a driver license because I don't drive, but I do travel thousands of miles every year behind the wheel of my automobile. That's another that's another topic we'll talk about sometime. Tonight we're going to talk about how you protect your stuff. Um, keep in mind that in the history of the world, 
there's always somebody wants somebody else's stuff. Now, the uh, we hear a lot about the first Americans. By the way, first Americans is the new politically correct term for uh, Indians. Uh, they went to Native Americans, but then everybody that's born in America is a Native American. So they finally picked up on that, and now they call they're called first Americans. So and Bob. Yes. What do the Indians call themselves? I'm sorry? What do the Indians call themselves? Well, most of them still call themselves Indians, or or, for, or, or, or they call themselves uh, Native Americans. Okay. But if you go to the um, National Archives, they have a whole new set, section on First Americans. They're already politically correct. Okay. Now, in fact, um, a lot of times people say that the Indians were just all in tune with nature and they got along and, and uh, you know, then the, until the white man came. That's not true. Um, in the case of my great-grandfather, Captain William Clark, the co-leader of the Lewis and Clark expedition, uh, Satchitawea had been kidnapped before a white man ever got there. And the Mandan Indians had traveled hundreds of miles by horseback. Now, how far have you ever traveled by horseback? And they, they did this, but hundreds of miles. They over to Idaho from uh, North Dakota to, to uh, steal their stuff, uh, horses, and kidnap their girls. Now, uh, several of the young ladies were able to escape and go back home, but Chachikoria was not able to do that. And when um, the Lewis and Clark expedition reached the Mandan uh, tribe, um, they set up um, Camp uh, Mandan, uh, Fort Mandan. And um, just before they left, my great-grandfather delivered Tachikoria's little son. He nicknamed him Pompey. And uh, I've, I've traveled the whole route just because I like to go where history happens. And uh, even today, there's a... There's a place located in Montana called Pompey's Pillar, where you can see where Captain Clark uh, put his initials and his name uh, on a sandstone monolith there where the Indians had already done it. In other words, they had graffiti, I guess, in those days, too, and the Indians had, had already uh, marked this place up, and he just added his name to it. They've since covered it in glass so that it will not... Uh, weather anymore, and uh, I've been up into that place. Uh, up at Camp uh, Fort Clatsop, um, I collect flags, I collect books, I have 9,000 law books, and I have a flag collection. One of my flags is a flag that flew over uh, Fort Clatsop for a day. Uh, this was a souvenir flag, but it had a, a very special uh, design that you don't see ever. And that is, when they started adding states, they added a star and a stripe. So the flag that was carried across America by the Lewis and Clark expedition had 15 stars and 15 stripes. They decided they didn't want to have a lot of stripes, so they went back to the 13 original stripes, and then they just add stars. Anyway, back to the foundations and people wanting your stuff. Uh, I've lost a lot of stuff because it was in my name. Uh, in fact, 
um, I was pretty successful at the time I got to be 40 years old, and I had a retail store, and 28 people called me boss. I had 14 homes, 35 antique cars, and a half interest in a hotel. And I closed down my corporation, and the State Board of Equalization in California collects sales tax. And they came and audited the corporate books. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is what actually happened. And this is one of the reasons I started studying law 36 years ago. The, uh, um, they said that I owed them, the state, $35,556.78. And how did I want to pay that? I said, I don't owe you a nickel. I paid... Six dollars. It was six percent sales tax in those days. I paid six dollars for every one hundred dollars in sales. I collected it and I paid it to you. And they said, "Well, that's the audit does show that." But you see, Mr. Schaefer, you sold that book, bucket of rip coating for a hundred dollars and collected six dollars and paid the six dollars. But you see, you you sold that product too cheap. You should have sold that product for a hundred and fifty dollars. And then 6% would have been $9. So you see, you cheated the state out of $3 because your price was too low. I said, wait a minute. This is America. I set the prices in my business. The state doesn't. This is not a loss leader. I made a profit of $100. But I deal with retired people who can't afford to pay full retail and labor to put this stuff on their roof of their mobile home. And so anyway, they said, well, do you have any real estate? Well, I had two houses. No, I had uh, 14 houses at that time. And I said, yes, well, we'll get paid. And so they chose, they focused on the two houses that I had the longest because they had the most equity. And they sold the house that I was raised in, the house I bought from my parents and raised my children in that house. He's in our family for 24 years. They sold that to pay themselves $35,556.78. Now, I said, something's wrong here. What, what, I don't get it. I need to know this. I have, I have paid attorneys a lot of money, big attorneys, big tax firms. They didn't know what I know today, and they lost, and I lost big. And had that house been in a different entity name rather than my own name, see, that's what a lot of people want to do. They want to be the owner. You don't want to be the owner. You want to be the controller. Because I was the owner, they stole my house because it was in my name, and they did get paid. Now, with the money of account that I've learned about, California government code 6850 uses these words. The money of account of the state of California and all court proceedings shall be had and held in the form of a dollar seven mil. Well, that brings us to another law that's good all over America. That's the Federal Claims Act of April 2, 1792, which uses almost the same word, but it adds the dime. And the word dime is spelled completely different, D-I-M-S-E. Anyway... If I would have known then what I know now, or if I had been able to find somebody like me then instead of an attorney, I'd still have a nice three-bedroom home on two acres of land out in the country. 
but somebody else is in my house now because of my own ignorance. So I decided, you know, I learned how to read when I was six years old. I'm going to start studying law. So I started buying law books and computers. And I closed my business down so that I could do this full time. I did little odd jobs to pay the bills. I got rid of my five new truck payments and I got rid of all my overhead and uh, started studying law. I have 9,000 law books now. And uh, I found out what my attorneys didn't know. And I found out also that if they cannot run with some of these arguments because they're part of the system. They're, they're in position to hold your hand and show you how you have to comply. And they may be able to give you, get you some more time to comply, but you will comply. And um, so I believe if you have a really good attorney and a really good CPA, you don't need any other enemies because it's their job, their profession, their privilege to represent you, but they, they can lose their privilege if they don't help the system. There's a case law that says an attorney's first job, first duty is to the system. Back in the 50s, we called it the establishment. I didn't. The hippies and beatniks did. And now we pretty much call it the, the system. So I started learning about asset protection. I went to a lot of seminars. I've listened to a lot of speakers. And there was one that really impressed me a lot. And I can add to his story. And I'm going to have to tell you the story because it's what happens to people. It happened to his family. Many, many years ago, the neighbor's barn burned down. And so all the other neighbors joined together and they had a barn raising. They just donated their time and they all put together. And within about a week, they had a new barn up. Well, that owner sold his farm, moved away a few years later, and then somebody else had it, and the barn burned down again. And we didn't talk about what caused that, but um, somebody was injured, and there was a big lawsuit against everybody that was helping out rebuild that barn. He said his dad was just helping out. He helped out for free, but he got sued. And he got a big judgment against him, and he says we had to sell, uh, we had to sell our farm and leave town. Very embarrassing with a lot of other people. He said, had they had their farm in a trust or a foundation or some other legal entity, they would still be living there. Well, that happened to me. I lost my house because I owned it, and so I started studying different ways of protect protecting it. Now, I've, I've learned that the government always follows the public. The public develops things first. And way back, the Kennedys and the Rockefellers and Morgan and all those people, way, way, way back, they developed common law legal entities under contract, under the American laws of contract, they could create these things. And they were separate legal entities, uh, common law trusts, common law ministries, common law uh, institutes, and common law foundations. Well, the government always comes along later and says, okay, there's, there's money to be made here. We need to get involved. We're going to pass laws that create these things. 
we'll have attorneys create them. Then we get an annual fee. The attorney gets an annual fee, and we can control and tax these things. They cannot control and tax the common law entities. So I decided, you know, I used to have a corporation. I was a statutory corporation back when I had all those licenses and 28 people working for me. And I got rid of that. I got rid of all my privileges. Now, uh, an interesting thing is that the way the, the government controls people is through uh, these privileges. There's four different kinds of privileges. There's licenses, like business license, driver's license, motorcycle license, bus driver, dog license. Those are all privileges. I don't want the privilege. Then there's passes, like for state parks and federal parks, you get a pass. You, you used to have a right to go in there. But then back in the 50s and 60s, the hippies and the beatniks started living in these state parks, and they started saying, oh, you need a pass. You only be here for two weeks or three days or something like that, and you got to leave. Then uh, there's permits. You get a business permit, a building permit, an excavation permit that's that brings in the inspectors. Everybody is looking over your shoulder. So I don't want any permits. And there are franchises like business business franchises, and uh, other. We have the voting franchise. You know, when somebody gets disenfranchised, they don't use these words lightly. You cannot vote if you're disenfranchised. And that's where we have like in California. We have the franchise tax board. Well, what franchise do I have rather than my voting rights? Well, it's not a right. It's a franchise. It's a privilege. And so I have gotten rid of all privileges. They have no control over me, and they know it. I mean, I've lived in the same house for 41 years and been in the same business for 56 years. I've been contracting without a license now for probably 36 years, and they know who I am and where I am. And I'm going to be in the near future holding a seminar on how to contract without a license and how they're going to business. There's a lot of people out of work. And uh, I've got 56 years of experience developing products that nobody else has. I have a roofing product that produces R5 insulation per coat. I just did two major roofs out in Palm Springs, California last week. And those places are cooler now in the summertime because they're not only white and heat reflecting, but they have this insulation value. Plus, they have they're fireproof. They're not fire retardant. They're fireproof. Uh, you can hold map a map gas torch on those things. You know, map gas reaches 5,301 degrees at the tip, and it, they will not catch on fire. They're just fireproof. Now, with accelerated testing, accelerated aging, where they heat, heat them, freeze them, throw acid on them, throw salt water on them, they repeat that over and over and over and over. They have figured out that in so many months, this product will last for two years. Well, they stopped testing at 200 years. My product was still good in, in accelerated 200 years. It was still fireproof. It would not catch on fire. And uh, now one of the things that I'm going to be doing in the near future, uh, I have somebody uh, already on it. Uh, Lake County in California lost over 2,000 homes and three towns gone, burned to the ground. FEMA is in there going to re 
rebuild. And so we're going to give them a demonstration on a fireproof product, and we'll probably sell a lot of it. We can color it and make it any, any color. But back to the, the, the entities that you want to use. Uh, I've done all four common law trusts, common law institutes for education, uh, common law foundations, and common law uh, ministries. They've even gone to court. Um, some attorneys have said, uh, you know, I want, I want you to order this lady to transfer the title to her property from this trust back into her own name so that we can attach it. Uh, this is a this is a scam. It's a it's a fraudulent trust. Well, here they haven't seen it, and they can't see it. It's private. It's a private contract, and falls under the private your Fourth Amendment right to privacy. There was there's a really neat story I like about a trust with Kennedy, when when John F. Kennedy was the the most powerful man on the planet. He went to the trustee of the of the Kennedy Trust. And he said, you know, our dad got us a lot of trust, bought a lot of real estate, our, our trusts own a lot of stuff. I'm just curious, whose who's trusts are worth more, mine or Teddy's? And the uh, trustee for the Kennedy Trust looked at the most powerful man on the planet and said, I'm sorry, sir, I cannot divulge that information by contract. I, I'm prepared from doing that. So in other words, a judge can't even look at your trust or your foundation or any of these documents because they're private. You have a non-disclosure, and you can't divulge it to anybody, but they're still legal. Now, I have also learned that people, you know, have listened to their attorney who got them a, a living trust. This is going to protect your assets. No, it doesn't. And by the way, I'm not giving legal advice. I'm giving a report here. I'm not a licensed lawyer or attorney. I do not give legal advice. I don't have a shingle up. I don't tell people I'm a lawyer. I for sure tell them I'm not one of those. You couldn't chase me fast enough to put that burden on me. I can do things that a lawyer or an attorney cannot do. So anyway, this is this is a report on what what happens. They have living trusts that they sell for a lot of money, and then they get an annual fee for themselves and the government. When I did trust, and I, I don't do them anymore because I believe the foundation is a far better instrument, but <clears throat> trusts come two ways. They're irrevocable or they're revocable. A living trust, which most people have, is revocable. In other words, you can give it, go into court and have a, some kind of a loss that might be illegal or totally wrong, but they, they don't care. Justice is not important. Uh, seems like most people have their own agenda, and you just think they're going to make you pay if they can. <clears throat> so if you have a living trust that is revocable, the judge can order you to revoke it and put that land back in your name so they can attach it and sell it and satisfy that judgment. An irrevocable trust is, is what, what you want if you want a trust. But the problem with a trust is that the trustee owns your stuff. You don't own it anymore. You thought the trust owned it, but the trustee owns it. And so if the trustee has a big judgment against him or her, they can sell your stuff to satisfy that judgment. So that's a bad thing, bad entity. With the foundations, 
this is we do common law foundations. We've done hundreds of them. Um, it's the it's the ultimate in privacy and security because nobody can look at it. It's a legal entity. You don't have to show it when you put when you transfer title into your foundation and go to the Hall of Records. They don't even care to look at the foundation. Uh, you can open open up bank accounts now with the bank account they they will want a copy of the foundation but that's okay uh and they want some kind of id now we we tell them we want to open this up without a, a social attached to it uh we have an ein number that we get from the government that stands for employer identification number you're not going to be an employer but you have an employer's identification number for one purpose only and if you ever do have employees, then you have a number that you can cut taxes from if you want to go that route. But you get the we get the employer identification number or the EIN for banking purposes only, and that's right in the application. Then we never deal with the IRS ever again. We have a number that that is used as like a social for the bank to use. And then they may want your social or your driver's license or something else for in-house identification so somebody else can come in and look at your, your banking stuff. But they say, I say they say, and I believe them because I have to, there's no choice, they say it's in-house, it'll never go out, nobody will ever know uh, that, that in-house identification. Now, but I, I used to charge three five hundred bucks for a foundation. Attorneys charge, you know, fifteen to twenty five thousand for something that's not as good. And <clears throat> but I, I started believing, you know, you need two of them. You need to put your high liability stuff, like your automobiles and your motorcycle and boat and camper, uh, in in one foundation, and then uh, your real estate or your land and house in another one, so that if, God forbid, somebody steals one of your, let's say, your your boat and, and drives through into a crowd of people, uh, they can sue the owner. Well, the owner is the foundation. That foundation does not own your house. Um, another foundation owns your house, so you're protected that stuff. Now, if that should ever happen, the first thing you do is you transfer everything else out of that foundation so only that boat is in that foundation and nothing else is there. This this happened with uh, Teddy Kennedy when he uh, drove that lady into the Chappaquiddick River. Uh, the family brought him in and shut him down for to find out what he owned. You know, uh, who owns that car? Well, that was uh, one of the Kennedy foundations. What else is owned by that foundation? Nothing. You can have the car down there under the surface in that lake or that river. Well, who owns that Rolex watch on your arm? Well, that was another foundation. The house you live in, well, that was another, uh, it was a trust. See, he owned nothing. I believe it was Rockefeller or maybe it was, Kennedy, one of those guys made a statement to his family, what you want to do in life is own nothing and control everything. And that's what we do. We don't own anything. I'm a pauper. I own nothing. But I sure control a whole lot of stuff. But it's not mine. 
but I can control it and use it. Now, this this is, comes in handy uh, at the time of death. If you look at a lot of the original documents, like the Northwest Ordinance and, and the different uh, treaties and stuff, right up front in the first few paragraphs, it's, it's, they bring up death benefits and who, who pays and where it goes and what happens at death. It's very, government's very concerned about that. With a foundation, you don't own it, and it's not yours, and so at your death, there's no probate. The board looks at another managing director. The managing director is the one that writes the checks and manages everything. The board members are maybe future managing directors, or you know, we would call them in, in a trust, we would call them beneficiaries. So they have future access to the assets of, and they can still, they can use them today. So the, the foundation can own a house that everybody lives in. And when the, the managing director dies, there's no probate. There's, see, the way the probate court works, and I really hate to tell you this because, you know, I believe that we need good courts. And today's courts are all com- commercial. In fact, they have their own Dun Edwards uh, member. And they have a lot of other things to point out that they're private. They're no longer uh, courts of records. You look in the old law dictionary, and a court of record is a court that proceeds with the common law. Well, America was built on the common law. Common law is the only law system under the law of the land. So until 1844, all the courthouses were under the common law, and they were constitutionally valid courts of record. Now they're not. So administrative law tribunals, or ALTs, and uh, but they pretend to be a judge in a courtroom, and they raise a lot of money. Um, they raise a lot of money to the system that way. But it's a way of milking the people with, with taxes and, and control and regulation. So that's why you don't want to be there. I, I, I'm not there myself, and I, I show people how they can become. They can regain their sovereignty. A lot of people think, well, I'm not a sovereign. In fact, the uh, FBI has a whole thing on sovereign citizenship and the sovereign citizen ideology. I'm not a sovereign citizen. I have no sovereign citizen ideology, but I'm sure a sovereign. See, words and their meanings are critical. Citizenship has obligations, duties, and responsibilities to something. It could be a government or it could be a church or it could be a family or it could be the university you're going to. I remember when when I was uh, in college, this, that, that old college is now a university, they graded us on citizenship. In other words, did we attend classes? Did we, uh, did we do everything right? Citizenship has obligations, duties, and responsibilities that the sovereign doesn't have. Now, in California, when California was just a possession, it was not a territory or a state. The United States sent General Kearney to California to contact the sovereign inhabitants. They weren't citizens of anything. So that's, I, I choose to be a sovereign inhabitant. I am an inhabitant, and I am, and I've recaptured my sovereignty. Or I'm one of the people. We have sovereign people. Those are all good terms, but don't call me a so- sovereign citizen. And people who use that term are demonstrating their ignorance. You can't be one. You can't be both at the same time. It would be like being a Christian atheist. 
you just can't be a Christian atheist. You can't be a sovereign citizen. <laughs> so there's all kind of, we have we have a lot of case law and statutory law talking about sovereignty. The people are sovereign. And these in California, these sovereign inhabitants got together and they they used what's known as a clipped sovereignty. Some of their sovereignty was they clipped it off and created a, a government, the, the Constitution. The Constitution was designed to bind those that worked for the government and gave them a limited amount of authority to do specific things and then leave us alone. The governments were designed to serve us sovereigns. After the Civil War, which wasn't very civil, they came up with the 14th Amendment, which came up with a brand new citizenship. Now it was a citizen of the United States, and that was created for the free slaves. They didn't have a right to be here, but they were free to leave. They could go back. If they were going to stay here, they had a privilege to be a citizen of the United States Incorporated. The 1871, the Act of 1871 incorporated Washington, D.C. So it was known as the United States Incorporated. Today, if you look at the U.N. representative, it says United States. It doesn't say United States of America. He represents the corporation in the world at the United Nations. And so we, we've lost a whole lot of, of, in America because people were asleep or just too busy. Uh, you know, most, most people uh, look at people like me as a cook, you know, for spending all this time, effort, and energy learning the law when they just better have another beer and watch the game. They can tell you how many RBIs this guy has and how many touchdowns that other guy has, but they don't know the Constitution. They don't know any of their rights. It takes time. And um, there's a lot more people. There's a large and growing people that are becoming more more concerned about their rights. And um, this website is all about rights also. So anyway, if you have us do a oh, so I did so many foundations, uh, and I started giving the second one to people because I didn't want anybody saying, well, you're just trying to gouge me for another $3,500. I said, no, you need the other foundation. I'm going to give it to you. I'll do the effort to do that. Well, I started doing so many foundations. I brought the down to, to 2000 bucks for two really good foundations with an EIN number that you can go to uh, Bank of America or Wells Fargo and get a bank account without a social attached to it because it has its own uh, identification number in the form of a EIN number. Um, I tell people, I can't tell you if a name is available until I try for it. Usually, nine out of ten times when I try for a name, I get that name. Once in a while, it's already taken. Like, for instance, um, somebody wanted the Blue Sky Foundation. Well, I tried for that, and it already, I couldn't get it. It just says you can't get it. So that lady wanted, she said, well, how about my Blue Sky Foundation? Hey, it went right through. I got it. 
So sometimes we have to work at it to, to, to go to the IRS and find out what's available. Now, we also have, when I have a little extra time, I, I think of names that would be really cool, and I see if I can't get that as a foundation. So we have, we have an inventory of already created foundations with their EIN number, and now we call them well-seasoned. They're already in place. And uh, so we can pass those on to people for that same donation amount. Um, but I tell people, if you, for the two foundations, give me four names. Uh, your first choice, second choice, third choice, and fourth choice, fourth choice so that we can uh, be sure and get what you want. Now, sometimes people will memorize, uh, memorialize their, their favorite pets. Like I did the Destiny Foundation for one family that had a dog named Destiny. And uh, I did that for, for a cat that I really, I had a cat for, uh, he, he turned 21 years of age before he finally died. He lived a long time. So I have the Simba Longevity Foundation. <laughs> that, that's how I memorialized the uh, that little guy. He was just a wonderful cat. He loved me a lot, and I loved him, and he followed me around, and we were the best of buddies. So you can do that, too, for a foundation. Um, it's best not to use your own name because you're trying to to not be, uh, you want to be under the radar because the radar it can be very evil. So you want to use something other than your name, although I do have um like I have a Schaefer Family Ministry, which I use for helping homeless people, and I've supported up to 21 homeless people at a time with through that uh, Schaefer Family Ministry. So ministries and foundations are basically the same document. They just have the word ministry at the end or foundation. They're, uh, they're kind of church-related, and so they're First Amendments. The First Amendment Association. So the banks like the word association, so we use that through everything we, we do. Now, the foundations, some people ask, in fact, banks will ask, is this a nonprofit or a not-for-profit foundation? The answer is no. A nonprofit or a not-for-profit is governmentally privileged. It's they can look over your shoulder any time during business hours to see if you're taking care of the franchise that they issued for you. No, this is a profit-making foundation that never has a profit because any profit that might be developed rolls right back into the foundation for humanitarian purposes. So we've covered that one. Um, I believe it's the ultimate in asset protection and privacy against anybody that's going to, that's trying to find you. And there's a lot of evil out there trying to find good people. And you have to be on top of it and just say, no, it's not going to happen anymore. I have lost a lot of stuff because stuff was in my name. And uh, that, that won't ever happen again. So I'm ready for questions and answers. All righty. First of all, thank you, Bob. That was an excellent uh, uh, lesson there. Uh, I've got a question. When you're yeah. looking, when you're. By the way, folks, if you have any questions for Bob, hit star eight on your phone. When you're looking for names, you're looking on the IRS computer when you're making a uh, applying for an EIN. 
suppose you would like to have a foundation, but you don't want an EIN. How do you handle the name? Oh, you don't even need to have. You don't need an EIN number to have a foundation. No, you know, I can make a foundation without an EIN number. You just need an EIN number to get a bank account. But you right. don't need an EIN number to transfer title into that. In other words, you can put vehicles and real estate and land in in these entities, and you, you sign it as the managing director. You know, okay. I, for instance, when I transferred a lot of uh, titles, I mean, had a bunch of cars and trucks and antiques and stuff, it would, I would transfer it in the name of the foundation um, by my name managing, uh, my title managing director. Now, what we do, I create a foundation as the executive director. Then I appoint the managing director who is the one that wants to end up with this foundation. Immediately, we create the minutes, the first minutes that that dismisses me as the, as the executive director and appoints either the managing director or somebody else that this, these people want to have be the executive director. And so I'm out of the picture, but I, I'm only there long enough to make those appointments, and then I'm gone. Yeah, just a little. Don't put very much on that. Hold on. There we go. Okay. Well, we got somebody that's got a question on the board. Somebody in California, when your phone unmutes, it's your turn. All right. This, um, Bob, Bob, this is Linda. And uh, I just wanted to give you some information that just came in uh, regarding the Social Security numbers and giving them, um, you know, when you go in, because they do want the social for an ID for you, but they don't. Uh, connect it to the account, and we actually had proof of that the other day. A lady went into the bank, and she said she'd kind of been stressed, and she had an accident or something, and she said, I can't remember the name of my foundation, but I know I have an account here, and this is my name, and this is my Social Security number, and they looked and looked and looked. This is at B of A, and they couldn't find anything. They said, I'm sorry, you know, unless you give us the name of the uh, the foundation or the, the, you know, the number, the EIN number that identifies it, um, we can't find it. By the way, let me introduce Linda. Linda is a very big help to me. Uh, we've been friends for years, and uh, she has helped me a lot, and she she has uh, the list of these, uh, these foundations that we have, so we say, on the shelf. So when people... Um, once that list, then uh, Linda's the one that we, we to go to that. But she's been a really big help. You know, I, I have so much to do. I put in 14 hours a day, and I just can't get everything done. And she offered to help. And uh, so she helps me with the foundations a whole lot. I really appreciate it, Linda. Well, I'm, I'm glad to help. But I wanted you to know that we had a good test on that. And so when they asked for that, that social, when you go in to set it up as the managing director, they uh, are only asking that to prove who you are, and they don't have any. Con- it doesn't connect to the account. So, thanks for your input, Linda. If you have some other uh, stuff that I missed, feel free to join in. So, Linda, in other words, they opened an account for their foundation and they gave them their Social Security number, and then when they came back, it was not tied to their account at all? No, because the social is only used to ID that who that they're saying who they are, who they really are. 
and that's all it's used for. And we were actually told that by, um, you know, we were told that by one of our premier bankers uh, at Wells Fargo. In fact, he even he even sent all of our documents that we take to the bank. There's 12 documents that we have for for you to take, and then the IRS. There's five IRS documents that come from the IRS, and uh, when the EIN number is acquired, and those 17 documents are for the bank to copy if they wish. And he sent all those documents. He said to the highest level in his legal department, and they sent that message to him that they were very happy with these accounts and that everything looked really great. And so, the biggest lesson I think that we learned in that situation dealing with, with that premier banker, um, which uh, it ended up forcing us to uh, set up non-disclosure agreements. Um, his manager started doing a lot of questioning. Uh-huh. And because these are private, I kept answering her with, well, you know, these are private. And she wanted to know, you know, how he did this or you know, what I was going to do with this and what we were going to do with that. What did everybody want to do with their foundation? And finally, I just said to her, you know, you know what a non-disclosure agreement is? And I said, um, you know, I signed one. And I don't mind telling you what I personally wanted to do with one of my foundations. But other than that, you know, the information is private. So it can always fall back on that non-disclosure. So each of our Entities that are involved with it, each foundation has a non-disclosure agreement that they actually sign, and it has the, you know, the details in there of, of what you do not need to reveal to anyone. By the way, that brings up the uh, the actual code that talks about private foundations, which is um, very very usable if if it's ever needed. It's uh, Title Twenty Six United States Code Section Five Hundred Eight. Special rules with respect to new organizations. And it says A, new organizations must notify the secretary that they are applying for recognition of 501c3 status. And that's what we're not doing because here's the exception. Except as provided in subsection C. An organization organized after October 9, 1969, now see, we're using their law here, this is their law, shall not be treated as an organization described in Section 501c3. In other words, they're not saying anything about this being evil and it's not worthy, it's it's, it's, it's illawful, or you're trying to hide something, it just says it's not to be considered or treated as an organization described under 501c3, which is what most churches are today. Most churches are government churches. You know, we, we, everybody talks about separation of church and state. Well, there is no separation of church and state. We can have a 501c3 church. And the reason they did that was a good reason for the government, not for us. <laughs> but, you know, the Revolutionary War was was started by preachers. You know, they, the, the shop that was heard around the world at Lexington and Concord was led by preachers, and that's where they came up with the uh, the saying, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. They were using hymnals, pages out of their hymnals for wadding in their, in their guns. And so the preachers have a following, and a lot of preachers have a big following. 
And they said, we've got to control those preachers. So what we'll do is we'll give them something that we can take away. We'll give them the right to get give tax-deductible receipts or get more donations. And they can say, you know, get your donation in before the end of the year so we can get your tax-deductible write-off donation. In the meantime, the preachers are to shut up about government. They cannot say anything negative about the government. Don't believe me? Go look it up. Read 501c3. It's right there. Okay, I'm going to continue to read here. Number one, it says, unless it has been given notice to the secretary in such manner as the secretary made by regulations prescribed that it is applying for recognition recognition as of such status, or two, for any period before the giving of the notice. See, we're talking about giving notice, but I want to I want to give tax deductible receipts. See, we don't give tax deductible receipts. So, for for any period before the giving of such notice, if such notice is given after the time prescribed by the secretary by regulations for giving notice under the circumstances, or excuse me, under the subsection. Then here's subsection B. Presumption. Now, you know, we don't presume anything at law, but they have a presumption here. The presumption that organizations are private foundations. That's what we are. They, in other words, they presume this is a foundation until you ask for that other recognition. It says, except as provided to subsection C, any organization, including an organization in existence on October 9, 1969, which is described in section 501C3 and which does not notify the secretary, at such time and in such manner as the secretary may by regulation prescribe that it is not a private foundation shall be presumed to be a private foundation. So in other words, everything is a private foundation unless you go ask for that 501c3 recognition. So they're not saying anything negative about private foundations. They're saying this is how they exist. So that's 26 U.S. Code 508. And anybody can look that up online even and read what I just said. So there's also another one on my, my mind is always running in every different direction. It's, it's kind of related. Uh, we, we have a, a case that says uh, Congress has not dealt with non-taxpayers. See, you get a bill, or you get some notification from the IRS that addresses to you as a taxpayer. Dear taxpayer, we're about ready to come down on you. We're about ready to put a lien on your land. We're going to do all these evil things. Well, see, unless you say, wait a minute, you address me as a taxpayer. What makes you think I'm a taxpayer? Don't you guys realize that there's some people that are non-taxpayers? Here's a law that says Congress has not addressed non-taxpayers. In other words, everything is in commerce if you have a privilege that's taxable. Well, if you don't have any privileges, then you can be a non-taxpayer. That's what I am. I'm a non-taxpayer. Now, do I pay sales tax? Yeah, I do. There's some taxes you, you, is unavoidable. Um, but uh, there's some that are avoidable. I mean, you're not... I, 
you don't want to be a tax evader. You can be a tax avoider. There's two kinds of of uh, what they call illegal tax um, protesters. There are illegal. I'm going to emphasize here. There are illegal tax protesters. We are not those. Then there are illegal tax protesters. That's what I am. I'm, I'm an illegal tax protester because I want them to show me where they get the authority to do that. And, you know, like I said, I've been in the same house for 41 years, and they leave me alone because I I have the right answers. Whenever they want to talk to me, I don't care if we talk in their office, my office, or before a jury. Because I have the answers, and I help other people find those answers. Next question. All right, we got some more questions on the board, Bob. I'm ready. Okay. All right, Maine, you're next. Hi, Bob. Beverly. Hi, Beverly. Hey, I'm totally confused. <laughs> um, first of all, I had a judge, I had a lawyer take my Social Security number, draw up a deed. I was a trustee, and I distributed the assets with uh, agreement of everyone, the trust was closed. This attorney took my distribution of the assets, which at that time was in my personal name, drew up a deed, and he did it to someone else using my Social Security number. Now, that was an irrevocable trust from Florida, and these little uh, actions took place in the main court. So I'm a little confused, in, you know, and I've been confused about them doing this for a long time, and I've been fighting them, but I'm not making any progress. <laughs> Someone said I have to report them to the Department of Justice, and then I'll get my land back. Well, I don't know, Bob, what to do. I hope you can hear me. I can hear you. Well, you see, you have a statutory trust, even though it is revocable or or irrevocable. It's still under the statute, and I don't go there, so I don't have an answer there. I'm the first to tell you if I have an answer, and I'm the first to tell you if I don't have an answer. So, see, you're you're bound to use an attorney. You you need an attorney that has those answers because that's their field. And that's their specialty, and I'm not going to pretend to go there. Well, the the trust instrument itself said it's governed by the state of Florida. So everything they did in Maine is illegal. Because it was done in Maine under under actually no law. There's no law that gives anybody the right to use your social security number to take your property. It doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, for well, you have. I, I I know your case. I know your case, and I know you have a really good case. You just need to find an attorney that that will run with it. You, because the court, uh, the courts in both states, they won't let anybody else talk to them about uh, a trust because all trusts have to be dealt with with attorneys. All statutory trusts, and that's what that's what your relatives. Uh, put you into as a statutory trust, and so that's not what I do. I I don't deal with that, so I don't have it. I can't help you. I would like to help you. 
Well, the other side is this, uh, you know, getting an EIN number that you mentioned. And you can get that. You, you, you can go online yourself and get an EIN number. Just go I to the IRS, I have uh, IRS one, website. I have one for an LLC, and the same person, after he drew up the deed, he was so angry because I filed a lawsuit in federal court. He drew up, uh, he got some judge to sign that he's attaching my LLC, which has an EIN number, for $94,000, the same lawyer. See, this is just another case of the evil with the statutory stuff. See, your LLC is statutory. You're buried in the wrong field. They're, they're, it's too bad. Um, I wish I would have known you many years ago over your family, because I've suffered the same situations, not those exact, but my my corporation, when I had a corporation, it was a, a, a state-granted privilege. And they know how to manipulate. This is the way that the government used to manipulate people as well as preachers. The 501c3 is the way they manipulate the preachers. But the way they control the people was... Here we are, sovereign people, but we went and got a privilege. And now when we're dealing with the privilege, we're bound by the, the rules, regulations, laws, codes, statutes that deal with that privilege. And so we need a mouthpiece. We need to go hire somebody. And well, I, 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 you know, in, in America, justice is for sale this way. You would think that, you know what, if I just show this stuff, stuff to a to a judge, he's going to weigh, weigh the evidence and see. No, he won't. He won't want to talk to you, or she. They don't want to talk to us. They want to talk to a, an attorney that has a privilege granted by the government to to deal with it the way the government wants them to deal with it. They, uh, uh, an attorney may get you more time to comply. In other words, you're going to comply in one way or the other, and he might be able to help you that way. To get more time, but you will comply, and Are that's what we, we don't do. We, we we don't comply. Bob, that's the common they're going to take all my property. I'm sorry. They're going to take all my property. I don't know what they're going to do. I can't tell you what somebody else is going to do. But if you have a, if you can get a good attorney. And, and, you know, I, I, I hate to say that there are any because I don't know for very few, but there are some. And I would, here's what I would do. I always tell people the, the way I would, if I went into a new town, didn't know anybody, I'd go to the Yellow Pages. I would look for longevity. Some guy that says, I've been in business since 1965. When I was, when I was running my contracting <coughs> business real seriously, I, I was told about, you know, since 1965. Longevity says a lot. <coughs> And okay. if this, if, so you want to look for longevity. If you find a, an attorney that has longevity, that one can, can probably has more experience. He's all practicing law. He's got more experience in the courtroom than than a lot of other people. In this area, I recommend the guy that I know of as far as probation. A lot of people come to me with their their probate problems, and I say you need to go see this guy. He's been doing it for 45 years. He's got all the answers that you need. I don't have those answers. How about how about how about uh, 
looking at the case in a manner of a criminal matter instead of a civil matter, so you bypass the the court, the civil matter altogether. I mean, using a social security number is a felony. It is criminal. Well, instead of going and seeing a criminal attorney, that over to the justice department. I can only only tell you what I would do. I would not go see a criminal attorney. I would go to the district attorney or the attorney general of the state. They're the ones that prosecute crimes for free. As far as you're concerned, it doesn't cost you anything. But if you can show them a crime has been committed, then they'll run with it. I did. A county district attorney or the state attorney general. That's what I would do. I'm not recommending that to anybody. I'm telling you what I would do. I went to an county attorney general and and she wouldn't help me. I haven't been to the state attorney general because they're angry with me because I sued the judge (laughs) and they represented the judge. So I'm I'm on their ship bus is what they call it here in Maine. But I think it's just a waste of a perfectly good life to get caught up in this stuff. And if this foundation stuff works, that makes more sense to me than anything. Yeah. Because I've been well, outside I, You of- know, you've learned the hard way as I did. You know, I, I learned the hard way or I learned by other people's mistakes. But I learned well, and I be, I'm able to pass that on to people. Nice so if, 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 all these, if all these government people won't work, then you might you know, just try to find a good probate attorney that, <clears throat> that has been down that road. You know, get the old guy, the OG, get the old guy that knows, that has a lot of experience because experience is where it's, where it's at. You know what you they, find, say, they say? I don't know what's going on in the courts. They're doing things there nowadays and. I never thought they would do. That's what they say. The old yeah. They say, what the hell is going on? Yeah, you just need to find, I'm suggesting that you find, what I would do would be to find an attorney that's old. These old guys, they have more compassion than young guys. And young guys are too busy trying to make that boat payment and getting their money coming in. And they don't want to learn anything new. The old guy has probably been down that road. He can say, well, you know, 30 years ago I had a case just like this. Yeah, I know what to do. Go to the old guy. Like in China, they go to the old guy. The old people have the experience. All right. All right. Thank you. Good luck to you. working on it. Thanks. All right. Okay, California, you're next. Hey, California, your phone was just muted and unmuted. Mm, I don't, if it was my phone, it was an accident. Okay. Um, Star six to mute, star eight to raise your hand. Okay, does anybody else have any uh, any questions at star eight on your phone? Star eight. Somebody typed on the board, Bob. Can one foundation own another one? Uh, I'll say that question again, please. Can one foundation own another one? Yes. Yeah, that's called layering. That's a good thing. Hmm. All right. Corporations 
corporations do that all the time. Right. <laughs> That's how they hide everything. Okay. Any more questions? Hit star eight. If we don't have any more questions, then we'll probably just go ahead and end the call. Alrighty, I guess nobody else has any questions. So I think we're going to be good then. Thanks, Chad. Okay, well, everybody, thank you very much for joining the call. We appreciate it. Tell your friends about us. And, uh, oh, by the way, real quick, real quick, real quick. Uh, Tonight, hopefully sometime, uh, last week's call will be indexed and archived in the member section of youhavetheright.com. Um, the full call is available free here on TalkShoe, but I do go to the effort to break them up uh, into uh, little bite-sized pieces so you can uh, learn it a little quicker. So you go to youhavetheright.com, check it out, join up, uh, help us so that we can help uh, produce these calls for you. It's appreciated. So, um, and if you have the need for a foundation, uh, go to youhavetheright.com as well. Look up John Gorla and Bob Schaefer's coaching. Or you can contact me through the website, and I can set you up with a conference call, and we can talk about your situation. So, all right. Well, everybody, thank you very much for joining, and you have a great evening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to terminate the call here. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.